Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be with you. It is eight minutes after the hour. And uh, I am pleased to tell you the rep state rep uh, Chuck Basie is with us. Good morning. Good morning, sir. How you doing? I'm doing very, very well. A little nippy out there this morning, huh? It was, but it's, it's a nice uh, fall day. It sure is. Garson is in from graphs.com. Good morning. Good morning. And you brought in some neat toys. We'll talk about those. Always. A little later in the program. There's a uh, <clears throat> gentleman uh, from Missouri who apparently walked into a Walmart after a mass shooting had happened uh, in another state. And, in uh, Springfield? Yeah. And he, uh, apparently he can get a couple of years in prison <clears throat> for what he has done. I, I believe they went with a terroristic act. Uh, he, he actually, I think, uh, pled to a lesser charge. Uh, the Ozarks man uh, was arrested back in August and uh, originally charged with felony of making a terrorist threat. Uh, but uh, Friday, he pled guilty to a misdemeanor charge of making a false report. I don't know how, they, how do they get that? How do they go from, one, from that to the other? Uh, because he caused false reports of an active shooter. Prosecutorial discretion? I don't know. It just seems a little screwy to me. Um, I, I don't think he legally did anything wrong. I think he was stupid, but I don't think he legally did anything wrong. Um, the folks at Walmart were obviously afraid. They should have just told him to leave, and then he would have, if he didn't leave, been in violation of, uh, of the law because he'd be trespassing. But that's, that's not the way it unfolded. But that leads to a conversation about open carry versus concealed carry. Yeah, I, I worked at Walmart. I, I'm not paid enough to go up and talk to people with guns. Yeah, well, Especially when they prohibit me from carrying one at work. Yeah, well, it's, you know, that's the conflict that, that has to be resolved. But um, there is a, a, a video. We'll play the audio of this. And it is uh, Chuck, uh, Chuck Mikul uh, Mikulek. And you know him. Jerry Mikulik? Uh, Jer did I say Chuck? Jerry, yes. Uh, talking about... Yeah, he's the fastest revolver shooter in the world. I've and seen... A damn nice guy. And I've seen some of his videos. But he uh, has uh, a new one out, and it's uh, open carry versus concealed carry. When is it appropriate? Um, for me, uh, open carry is appropriate around the house. Uh, but if I go out in public, uh, I prefer to conceal carry. Uh, I don't know where you guys stand on that, but I'll go around the table, Chuck. Exactly the same yeah. Garson? Yeah, I, I definitely prefer to conceal carry, but, um, you know, before concealed carry was legal, I open carried, um, especially, you know, working at gun stores. Um, yeah, well, then you you don't have much recourse. Yeah, well, I mean, but I had to get to and from work, and I wasn't just going to, you know, hand carry my gun around before and after work, so I got pretty used to open carrying, and um, I'd say the main difference between um, concealed carry and open carry uh, you know, they always say never walk around in condition wide anyway. Um, I'd say I was more attentive to my surroundings. Yeah. Um, open carrying. I was beyond condition yellow, but maybe not condition red. Um, yeah, while, because while now, carrying. now you know that if it's out in the open and the bad guy is there, uh, you could potentially be his first target because you're the first one who might be able to respond to him. Anyway, so let's uh, let's jump into this uh, open carry versus concealed carry. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the uh, sensitive topic uh, of here lately, and that would be open carry versus concealed carry. So 
What I want to show you some techniques and some different options that uh, may present you in a different light to the general public. So, okay, I've got a concealment vest on and I also have a concealed handgun. It's inside the waistband. It's a nice setup. It's an M&P shield. It's a nine millimeter, so it's a good, it's a good carry gun. Got a vest on it. Hey, I'm just out taking, taking pictures. You know, I'm a fisherman or whatever. What I'm trying to do is lessen who I am in public. If I'm out in open carry like this, it's a great option. If I'm out in the woods, I'm cutting grass on a place, I'm usually always gonna have something on me and it's gonna be open carry. When I go into the general public, what I have to be aware of, there's no retention device on this holster, so I can grab it quickly and draw it. Also, anybody around me can grab it quickly and draw it. So if I want to accept that responsibility of maintaining this firearm safely, I also have to be aware of my surroundings more than if I had it concealed. So if someone would want my pistol as much as I do, It'd be very easy for them to come behind me and take it. So, what you also want to be aware of, guys, all these gang members and all these hardened criminals, when they go through the penitentiaries, this is one of the things they teach them is how to take firearms from law enforcement people. So, and that's why you see a police officer, he's going to pretty much have a double or a triple retention outside holster, which means you ha he has to do three distinct motions to get that handgun out of the holster. Another thing, if you look at a law enforcement belt and rig, the whole rig is structured to where the belt will retain the sidearm, even though it has several hundred pounds of force being pulled on it, he can run the other way and hopefully retain his handgun through all this encounter. So this little holster here, guys, you can rip it, take it from me without, without hardly any effort whatsoever. So should you choose to have open carry, you should also train on how to retain your open carry handgun or firearm in general so be aware when it's out in the open like this guys everybody knows who you are you might be a target of opportunity so least you want to do is try to conceal this is a uh this is actually an idpa vest but it's also a mock-up of a photo uh, a photographer's vest or a fisherman's vest so this kind of changes who i am in public i'm just a guy who likes a vest do I have a firearm? Well, maybe I do, maybe I don't. Maybe I just like vest. So it hides it somewhat. It's not really deep concealment, but it's concealment of some sort, and it changes the whole presentation of who I am to the general public. It also brings the safety level up on this firearm somewhat. So if you want to, if you want to grab it, just something more you got to work against to get my firearm. So something to think about. To give you an idea how this, these uh, holsters work, I'm just going to draw it and go ahead and shoot a couple shots. Even from concealment, if you work it right, you can make a relatively quick shot. So, it had, I had relatively quick access to my handgun. It's relatively secure. But to me, the big thing, the big advantage is the vision. Nobody really knows who I am or what my intentions are. Open carry, guess what? You know who I am and you know what my intentions are. I also have the problem now of retaining this firearm everywhere I go. It's just another level of difficulty. But should you choose open carry, you want to also train on how to have retention and situational awareness to where you can maintain your firearm. Okay, guys, the next level of concealed carry is pretty much what most of us do anyway, and that is just put a pistol in your pocket. So I've got a pistol in my pocket, and I'm pretty happy to see you, by the way. Anyway... <laughs> This is a little semi-automatic handgun. It's pretty much uh, a standard concealment 
type handgun is small, it's thin, it's relatively powerful. The big advantage of it is small enough and odds are you're going to have it with you. Might not be the best gun for the application, but guess what? When the time comes, the gun you have is what you have. So it's better to have something than nothing. So something to think about when you choose a concealment handgun. If you're willing to change your lifestyle and carry a bigger handgun and an extra magazine and a tack light, that's a good thing, guys. Go ahead and train for that level. If you're like me and you're kind of lazy and you just want something and you're more aware of where you're going to be, a smaller handgun might be the choice. Of course, if it's with you, it's going to be the one you need. So usually I recommend, and I personally try to carry it in some kind of a holster. This little pistol has an external safety. It's a striker-fired double-action pistol, so it has an auxiliary safety. And that pretty much deactivates the trigger. And what you want to be aware of when you stick things in your pockets, you want to have, that's the only thing in your pocket. You don't want a bunch of keys, a bunch of coins getting in the way of the trigger. Last thing you want to do is pull it out and have a coin stuck behind the trigger and you can't pull the trigger. So the idea behind these holsters is to prevent an occurrence like that. And also women who would conceal their handguns in a purse. Last thing you want to do is pull it out and have a key or a bobby pin or something stuck behind the trigger and you can't shoot it. Another thing you want to realize, if you stick a handgun in your pocket, you're exposing it to a lot of dirt and debris, so your maintenance level has to be higher. Just because you hadn't fired it in a year doesn't mean it isn't dirty, guys. So stay on top of your maintenance. If you, shoot, if you choose to carry it this way, it's also going to be a lot of, it's, going to, it's a very humid spot in your pocket. So ammunition deteriorates quick. Uh, the lack of lubrication, uh, it really tests the, whole, the overall gun package if you carry it in your pocket. It's a very hostile environment, so just be aware of that. So I'm going to go ahead and just do a pocket draw. These blue jeans aren't the best thing, but it's pretty much what I wear around the property. So this is probably what I'm going to do anyway, is just drop it in my pocket like this. We'll see if I can go ahead. And that's another thing you want to do, should you choose to carry concealed, is have a realistic idea of how fast I can actually produce this handgun and get the job done. A lot of guys will stick stuff down in their pocket inside of a holster and God, they've never even drawn it and get a time perspective of what they're doing. Same thing with women who carry concealment in their purse. It's a great thing, but to get to it in time is just that fact, it takes time. So you wanna have your training level to be to where you can buy enough time to actually produce your carry gun should you need it so something to think about training goes along with the ownership and the responsibility of concealed carry so so we're just going to work out the pocket here you notice i had a lot of pocket coming out with it and that's what's bad about not having it in a holster of some kind most of these holsters like this have a grippy surface on them to when you're to when you're going to produce the handgun it'll slide easily out of the holster and out of your pocket but that was a center shot, relatively, what, second and a half. So if I know something's going to happen, usually within about a second and a half, I can pretty much produce a shot into the target zone that might be uh, of opportunity there. So, All right, so he's talking about pocket carry. Uh, depending on what I'm wearing, and I imagine you guys are the same, you, you carry a different firearm for different s situations. Uh, I, I wouldn't carry my 1911 under a suit because it's just, it's it's going to, you know, leave an impression. Uh, but I might carry a pocket carry. And, uh, and this is uh, something Tim Oliver taught me. I, I hadn't thought about this, but he, he showed me a holster that's designed for the pocket. And it's got a lip on it so that when I reach in and pull that little gun out of my pocket, the holster stays behind. 
Um, and uh, I know there are a couple of other different ways to do that. You guys carry those kinds of holsters at Graffs, don't you? Yeah, we have a couple options. Yeah. Um, I don't. We don't have any with a clip, yeah, or this a hook. Um, but yeah, most of the ones like the Uncle Mike's have two bands of like uh, rubberized material um, to give the holster more traction. Yeah. Uh, so it stays in the pocket and gives you a cleaner draw. And uh, boy, you can pick up all kinds of pocket lint even in the holster. Well, if you're carrying it all, you need to clean your gun f- much more frequently than you shoot it. Unfortunately, and I've I've asked uh, practically all of our uh, uh, weekly guests in here how often we clean our guns, and none of us clean them often enough. We know yeah, that I at least wipe mine down weekly, um, especially uh, carrying inside the pant because uh, your sweat will condense on that gun, and that's going to exacerbate any kind of uh, corrosion that it will experience. Yeah, so uh, there are some things that you need to practice uh, and, and he's uh, just talked about that and that is how to pull it out of your pocket and uh, get uh, get on target and uh, it does require practice. Can't just uh, do it once. And, and that goes it. for any method. That's true. Carry, That's so. true. Alright, more on open carry versus concealed carry. I'm Gary on Guns, 93.90... Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be with you. Happens all the time. He did it to himself. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Geez. Welcome. It is uh, 26 minutes after the hour, and uh, Garson is in from Graphs, graphs graphs.com. They're in Mexico, Missouri. Well worth a ride, especially especially if you're into reloading. If you do a lot of shooting and you want to save a lot of money, reloading is the way to go. You guys have the equipment, the gunpowder, the bullets, the shells. You got it all. Pretty much we got it all. Pretty much? I mean, there's some oddball, obscure stuff that isn't always available and we when we get it it sells out relatively quick uh like we just got um 32 40 brass and um i think we're already down to like a case yeah i I remember taking a tour through the back uh with a couple of other guys and we were trying to throw out names of you know different uh ammo and thinking well you couldn't possibly have the shells for this (laughs) and you did uh so it is the place to go and people buy from you guys all over the world they order from you so that is, and it's right down the highway at uh, uh, in Mexico, Missouri. Also on board with us, uh, State Representative Chuck Basie, a constitutionalist, Second Amendment supporter. Glad to have you with us this morning. Always good to be here. Thank you. Uh, we've been talking about open carry versus concealed carry. I think uh, for me, concealed carry just makes much more sense. Unless I'm walking around the house or something like that, I I don't have to uh, concern myself. The problem in many cases is that people are just afraid of seeing somebody with a gun. Um, it's an irrational fear. Uh, most uh, most people who carry are licensed and legal. The bad guys are probably not going to open carry. They're probably going to conceal carry. That's just, I'm just taking a stab at that. I don't know it for sure, but... Yeah, I've never seen any, any bad guys um, open carrying in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, so if you see somebody open carry, chances are they're not one of the bad guys. And from my experience as open carrying, people are not very observant. Really? Yeah. Um, I, you know, after having carried to open carry for so long, I'd kind of forget I was doing it and walk into places that I probably shouldn't have. And Nobody realized, noticed. realized it after I already left that, oh, your holster was on, and you thought you took your gun out, but you didn't. And, <laughs> nobody, um, and nobody, nobody batted noticed. an eye. Nobody said a word. Yeah. Um, so I was surprised. I was like, "Well, 
I got lucky that time. I'm not doing that again. Yeah, I, I'm i probably more uh, conscious of the fact that I'm carrying uh, and and whether or not it's concealed. Uh, I, I mean, just constantly I want to make sure, and I and I try not to, like if I'm blousing the, my shirt over the firearm, I try not to do that where anybody can see me when I check it to make sure that it's covered and uh, it just... Uh, yeah, that's that's like the only big giveaway that I see people do a lot is they, you know, grab their gun. Check and make and sure. check it or readjust it. So after I notice other people doing that, I make a very conscious effort to not ever do that. Yeah. Um, that's a dead giveaway. And, you know, like I said, people aren't very observant, so maybe that's only a dead giveaway to other people that are carrying. But um, the, the tactical or photographer's vest is also another kind of dead giveaway that you're probably packing. Um, and, you know, I joke with my friends that it's, you know, if you see a guy with a vest, you know he's got a gun. But, um... <laughs> or... Even Jerry was using the video. Yeah. And, you know, so I try not to wear those type of vests um, outside of where they're required by competition. Um, before we get back to this uh, video, and we will... Uh, a friend of the show, Scott Van Kirk, uh, he's a great guy, and so is his wife, Cheryl. They are just a really terrific uh, couple. And uh, Scott has, uh, is oftentimes a guest host here. Uh, Cheryl has cancer, and the, you know you can imagine missing work, the medical bills. She's a teacher. She's really a sweetheart. In fact, uh, I only hang around with Scott because I get to see Cheryl. Uh, but they, um, they were, uh, were hosting a, a, fundraiser, a fundraiser, Black Rifle is, and it is going to be today uh, from 1 o'clock until 4 o'clock at Dogmaster. And there are all kinds of great auctions, uh, all kinds of great things that uh, they're raffling off. So if uh, if you want to support uh, uh, Scott Van Kirk and Cheryl Van Kirk, um, stop by Dogmaster today from any time between 1 and 4 o'clock. Yeah, that's at uh, 210 St. James Street in yeah. downtown. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, uh, and it goes for a really great cause. Uh, we want to help them cover all those medical bills and the, the, the missed work. Uh, so come on down and do that. All right, uh, let's get you up to date with what's going on around town, and then we'll come back and uh, finish up open carry versus concealed carry on Gary on Guns 93.9 The Eagle. Hey, welcome. 35 minutes after the hour, and uh, we are uh, pleased to uh, tell you that Chuck Basie, state representative, is on board with us this morning. Good morning, Chuck, and also uh, good morning to Garson from Graphs. Good morning. Graphs.com. Uh, open carry versus concealed carry. Uh, Jerry Mucklick is uh, giving this uh, this talk. Let's go back and wrap it up. It gives you an idea of what more realistic carry would be. Another thing you want to remember, guys, when you have small handguns, it's very easy to point this some, <laughs> point it at something you're not willing to destroy. So work, keep your safety zone, keep your fingers out of the trigger guards, and when you practice, guys, repetition with dry fire is of the utmost importance. Last thing you want to do is AD in your pocket and <laughs> practicing with your concealed carry uh, handgun. So dry fire a lot. Get very familiar with this handgun. Doesn't matter who's manufacturer, who's make, who's model, what caliber. Know how to reload it. Know how to do the stoppage drills. Know how to shoot it well. Train with it. Another big fallacy, guys, and I see this all the time when we do concealed carry classes. We get guys come through and they'll run and buy the cheapest ball ammunition you could possibly find, practice with it, and the gun runs 100%, then they, they carry ammunition. is going to be some whiz-bang, high-speed hollow point that costs about three bucks a round, and they've never fired a round in that package. 
and then they put it in there and they're going to carry it. So what I kind of recommend, guys, if you're going to have a concealment gun, is to shoot at least about 100 rounds of your specified carry ammunition. Doesn't matter whose make of ammunition it is, but you want to be aware changing ammunition also changes the way this thing cycles. And with a semi-automatic pistol, if it's not functioning, you're not having a good day. So when you, when you go out and you practice your concealment with your concealment handgun, you want to shoot it strong hand, you want to shoot it weak hand, you want to shoot it with a limp wrist, you want to shoot it with two hands, you want to know how this thing is going to function with your ammunition of choice, guys. At least 100 rounds in these different positions, and then I'll, I would say I'm comfortable with carrying that firearm and that ammunition. Hey guys, we're going to go to the next level. This is truly open carry with a full-size handgun. If I'm out hunting or my, on my tractor bush hogging or whatever, if I'm out on my property doing anything, this is pretty much what you're going to see on me. It's a full-size semi-automatic handgun. It's got a light on. It's got cool witness metallic sights. It's got a laser. It's magnaported. It's got all the bells and whistles. Got a high-capacity magazine. This is pretty much my uh, what I'm going to go to gun, okay? The holster it is, the holster here is a Hogue and it has a retention device on it. Now there again guys, when I'm open carrying this handgun, I'm not gonna be around a bunch of people. The way, the reason I have a retention device is if I'm on a tractor or a four-wheeler, last thing I wanna do is sit down and have my handgun fall out under the bush hog or lose it in a swamp somewhere when I'm hunting. So this retention level to me is what I want. What I don't have is a police duty belt. So this can be broken off the belt and taken as a whole package, which is not a good thing if I'm out in the public. So this is my in the woods belt, in the woods holster, and pretty much what you're gonna see me around my place is gonna be a handgun set up similar to this, or it might be a revolver. But anyway, it's gonna be a full size on the outside. I don't necessarily wanna walk around in public like this. It draws a lot of attention on who I am, and it also presents this gun to people that I'm not willing to give it to just yet. So this is my open carry gun. It's good for what it is. It's full power. Let's go ahead and shoot a couple of rounds. And you can see, it puts them right in the middle. That's a 40 Smith & Wesson, full caliber. So there you have it, guys. Open carry with a full-size gun. Hey, guys, I've got my open carry guns on. Uh, Louisiana is legal to carry open. I've got one of my favorite ARs. I love these things. I make a living with them. I train with them. This is who I am. Both of these guns are who I am. But I want to give you an idea about posturing and public perception and also how to be polite with a firearm. Here I am, I've got open carry. We'll give you, I'm gonna give you a little scenario. Hey, how you doing, sir? Okay, same scenario. What's changed? All of a sudden, I'm posturing that I have a firearm. My hand is on my firearm. That's really putting the other guy on the spot instantly. You're in his face, what, what is he gonna do? You don't know. Same thing with this long gun, guys. It's on my back. Hey, I'm just another friendly fella, you know. Hey, how you doing? Okay. What's changed? Everything has changed. My posturing has changed. Same firearm, different presentation. Now, all of a sudden, you're on the spot. What am I going to do? What's my intentions? You have to, your, your window of opportunity to react to who I am and what I'm going to do has been compromised. This is a sign of respect. Just like carrying a samurai sword, I found out here recently that a samurai sword carried in the right hand was a gesture of friendship. Carried in your left hand means you were ready to draw it and go to work. 
Now, what he was demonstrating and what people couldn't see uh, is that he had his uh, AR-15 on a sling and it's behind his back. And if he approaches somebody that way, it's not as terrifying for the, you know, uh, people who don't know about guns. But if you flip it around and you hold it like you're ready to to use it, uh, now you whoever you approach is going to be terrified that you're possibly going to do something uh, that would endanger their lives. Uh, so a lot has to do with, and, and he demonstrated earlier, putting his hand on his uh, open carry handgun on his waist versus keeping his hands out in the open where people can see it. So there are some things that you can do when you're open carrying to sort of lessen the impact. Um, sort of makes sense to me. The problem is still, there are so many people who are terrified of guns, uh, and there's a difference between respecting them and being terrified of them, uh, that even if you do as he suggested, um, they're still going to react badly. Well, and I think there's a third category there. Um, there's going to be the people that aren't necessarily terrified but have a disdain for firearms and are going to do whatever they can to get you in trouble. Yeah, well, that's... All right, you just see somebody with their hand on their pistol, you know, whether it's in their holster or not, you think that they're getting ready to pull it out yeah. or use it. So there are at least some things you can do if you open carry uh, to ameliorate the fear uh, of, of the people that uh, don't know about guns. Let's wrap it up uh, with concealed carry. When is it appropriate uh, to open carry? So posturing means a lot. It means a lot to the gun... To the, to the public, guys. You're a representation of a good gun owner. Don't put people on the spot. Nobody likes to be put on the spot. We all want to be friends and good neighbors. So just remember, you're carrying open like this is considered posturing, and how you do it means a lot to all gun owners in the United States. So there you have it, open carry versus concealed carry. They both have their strong points. One thing you want to be aware of is all the local ordinances that pertain to gun ownership and concealed open carry. What you want to do, guys, you want to train hard. You want to present yourself well in public. You are a representation of all the gun owners in the United States. So be safe and represent us well. Good advice, I would argue. Good advice. Um, I still don't see much point in uh, in, in open carry. I still uh, I prefer the concealed carry. Uh, perhaps a disadvantage might be the, the amount of time it takes to draw the weapon or something. But uh, I think it's just better all around. And I don't think there's going to be any way to convince the the public that are not you know gun aware that just seeing a firearm isn't uh, a threat to them so that's that's my take on it uh 874-9390 the toll free number 800-529-5572 we're going to come back there is a uh, a match tomorrow yes all right indeed. we'll talk about that to, uh, in just a couple of minutes on the Gary and Gun Show, The Eagle, 93.9. Hey, welcome. It's 49 minutes after the hour. Chuck Basie, state representative, on board with us this morning. So is Garson from Graffs. And uh, we just uh, talked about open carry versus concealed carry. Uh, but uh, we're going to move on. There are some, there's a, one more. Is it an IDPA that they've got out at? Uh... Yeah, the last IDPA match of the season will be tomorrow, uh, starting at 10 o'clock. So, think... and that's at Green Valley. At Green Valley. So if you want to participate, can you just uh, can somebody just drive in and say, hey, I'd like to play? Uh, if there's room. Uh, so they do pre-registration on a website called Practice Score now. Um, so if they fill up all the squads, um, sometimes they close registration early. So it, it would behoove you to register today if there's still spaces. Is it practice score? Yeah, practice score.com. .com. 
uh, to sign up if you want to give that a, a try. A lot of fun, a lot of great competition, a lot of great competitors. Uh, and it, it's it's my experience that the, those those are the kind of guys that will say, hey, you need a hand, or uh, if you've got a problem, they'll try to help you. They're really, really great folks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're a small community, so we take care of each other. Yeah, uh, and you can go out and watch those uh, matches, too. Yeah, you can spectate. And uh, there is a, a couple of recommendations. One is that you bring some ear protection. Uh, that's mandatory, actually. And uh, eye, eye protection. protection. And closed-toed shoes, although that probably won't be an issue tomorrow. No, <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, Chuck, I know that uh, you and I are both uh, going to be sad with the uh, most recent political news, uh, Beto O'Rourke, Robert Francis, he's dropped out of the presidential race. Uh, yeah, I was a little disappointed. I yeah. was hoping to see some of the fireworks going forward between <laughs> all those uh, individuals running. But uh, we still have plenty of entertainment left. Is there a Democrat in that race that's not anti-gun? I I can't think of any. I can't think of any you know, either. I think they all have some... Did did they dig up that, Thomas Jefferson? <laughs> no, no, it's got to be in that current field. Uh, and I don't see anybody there. Uh, what, wasn't he the last pro-gun Democrat? It might have been. But I don't see anybody there that's, uh, you know, you would think, you'd think that Tulsi Gabbard with her military background, that maybe she would, would see it. Uh, but I, they're all just rabidly anti-gun. Uh, and, you know, one of the things, and this this kind of bothers me, and I think I've, I've mentioned this before, we're always afraid of what the Democrats will do because they are so rapidly anti-gun. But if you look at uh, this particular administration, they've, they've done some damage, uh, you know, that... Well, even on we personal would, property rights, I mean, that's pretty ridiculous, the, the, dema- uh, the required... Um, Destruction or um, surrender yeah. of your bonfire yeah. stocks. You've paid for with it. No, no recompensation. Yeah, uh, you know, we'd get we'd get upset. We'd be screaming if the Obama administration had done this. Right. Uh, and yet, I screamed, but it fell in deaf ears. Apparently. Well, no, I heard you. Okay. And and I was as upset as you. In fact, when you started screaming, I said, "What? What? What?" And then I thought, <laughs> "Oh my God, he's right." Uh, but I, like I said, if it were a Democrat, we'd be we'd be screaming. Uh, you know, the, interestingly, and this is uh, kind of going into my uh, weekday show, but did you see what the national debt is? It's climbing rapidly. It is now $23 trillion. Yeah, isn't it, isn't it going up like $20,000 every second or something? It's a phenomenal rate that it's going up. Yeah. Uh, and it was always the Republicans. They were always screaming, got to control the spending, got to control the spending. Uh, they were deficit hawks all the time complaining about the Democrats. Now, um, not so much. I mean, it makes me happy that Missouri's got an obligation to have a balanced budget, but that kind of scares me at a national level when, you know, if they go down, it doesn't matter how goes balanced down. Missouri's budget is. Yeah, they all go down. Right. Uh, what happened with the, with the Missouri balanced budget? And I don't, we're going to stick on this, but I'm just curious. Uh, what happens uh, if they can't, I mean, do they play tricks to balance the budget? Does the... No, I don't believe so. They uh, they're very responsible. It's uh, a lot of effort goes into that, but no, it's a re- constitutional requirement to ha- balance the budget. They do have some reserves set aside in case some things happen. But uh, I'm not on the budget committees or anything like that. But I, I know they do the very best they can uh, with the, the money that's available. But they are required, and, and we do 
uh, have a balanced budget every year. How much uh, is is the uh, Medicaid it's, part of the budget? It's the most, uh, that and education are the two most expensive things in the budget, uh, or the cost uh, consuming. Um, but I believe it's uh, near 40% of the, the budget in total. Wow. Uh, 40% Social Service Medicaid, yep. It's a... Uh, and it's growing. Uh, well, it's not growing as fast as it was, but it is. So there are some controls being put on it now. But but it's still uh, it's still concern, and there's an effort to expand that. There's going to be a ballot initiative to uh, put that in front of the voters to expand Medicaid. Where do they get the money for that? Do you know how much it costs to get the signatures to put on a ballot? It costs between one and two million dollars, unless you can get enough volunteers. Who is coming up with that kind of money? For that, I mean, if they got that kind of money, they should be giving it to uh, you know uh, institutions that help the indigent get health care. Uh, I think it would uh, probably go further. Yeah, cut out all the middlemen and go right to the people that are helping people. Seems to me, anyway. A uh, man only accused of white collar crime wants his gun rights back. Uh, the story is at uh, Bearing Arms. Uh, this. This idea that once you've committed a crime, you can't carry anymore, you can't own a gun, kind of bothers me. Uh, I always thought if you were a bad guy and you did something bad, you had to stay in prison until you've been reformed and we can trust you on the street. And then you would have the right, or should, to protect yourself because you would be just as likely to uh, uh, encounter a bad guy as anybody else. But... Uh, a lot, a lot of states will will make it, and, and the federal government too have some of these laws, uh, making it very, very difficult for somebody once they've committed a crime to get their right to protect themselves back again. And uh, you know, I would think a white collar crime. Why would that's not a sign of violence? Why would they, you know, keep somebody from uh, defending themselves? Yeah, but they've shown a willingness to defy the laws of the land, so that would lead me to believe that they're going to be willing to do that again in the future. Did you ever get a speeding ticket? A few. So you were willing to violate the laws of the land? Yes. But you have a gun? Yes. So maybe we should be looking at the type of crime and judging it that way instead of just they committed a crime. Possibly, but what kind of white-collar crime do you have to commit to actually get a prison sentence? Well, embezzling, which wouldn't be a violent crime. But still, a crime uh, worthy of punishment. But that doesn't make you dangerous. Yeah, but like <clears throat> the whole Enron thing, that, that put people's livelihoods in jeopardy. That was pretty severe. That was, uh, that was you, a bad deal. Do you actually know what happened with Enron? Because uh, courts were reversing uh, uh, guilty verdicts left and right. Uh, there's more to that story, I think, than most people know. Okay. All right. Uh, 874-9390-800-529-5572. U.S. District Judge uh, Furstein from the Eastern District of New York ruled that an illegal search was conducted by the FBI on John Drago. Uh, Drago, who owned and operated a check-cashing business, was suspected of not paying his fair share of taxes. It's a fact that uh, check-cashing businesses handle a lot of cash, on and, uh, and a lot of cash comes in. Uh, and once uh, the judge threw out the evidence from the illegal search, the government prosecutor filed a superseding indictment, which stated the defendant, John Drago, paid wages and commissions to employees 
of his company in cash and failed to accurately inform the IRS of the payment of this of these cash wages. As a result, uh, this guy's company filed false form 941 quarterly for 2010 through July 2013 with the IRS, in which Drago knowingly and falsely underreported the gross wages paid to employees and avoided paying the full amount of FICA taxes that the Kayla companies, that's his company, owned. Serious allegations that come with serious prison time. With that allegation, Drago, who maintains his innocence, demanded a hearing about his gun rights. He had no criminal background, so why not restore his gun rights until a jury of his peers convicted him? Still think he should have lost his gun rights? That seems borderline to me. Okay. Yeah, and uh, is it New York State? Is that yeah. right? Yeah. You know, that's, um, boy, doesn't seem right. No, it doesn't. Yeah. But then it's New York State, so... You know, who can say? Um, but, you know, I mean, we're talking tax. Tax evasion. Uh, guy shouldn't be losing his gun rights over that. And he hadn't even been found guilty. But they seized his firearms. So I think uh, I think we really have to look at the, at the way we uh, treat these folks and uh, see if we can find a more fair way. Maybe they have red flag laws for uh, tax evasion up there. <laughs> red flag <laughs> laws for tax evasion. Could very well be. Uh, Garson brought in two really neat firearms uh, from from Graf's. Uh, one of them is a, a revolver that somebody owned, but it's never been fired. It's essentially a brand new gun. It's essentially a brand new gun without a brand new gun price. I don't know how you how you beat that. You also brought in an AR-15, <clears throat> and I was frankly stunned at the price that, on this. That seems like it doesn't have a brand new price, too. Yeah, <laughs> and it is brand new. Uh, and still in the box. And by the way, before I get into this, and we're going to get a news break, you have more of these in stock, right? This isn't the only... I do not have any at the store, but they're readily available from our distributor, so it should not be a problem to have more. All right. Uh, if you're on Facebook at Gary on Guns, uh, you'll actually see these because we have cameras in studio. And uh, we'll do that next on Gary on Guns, 93.9 E. 